The following program is rated BBMALSA. It contains strong language, sexual situations, awesomeness, and nudity. It is intended only for mature audiences. Listener indiscretions are advised. Welcome to our Bliss Bringers podcast. The materials we cover encourage adults of all ages, nationalities, and sexualities to open up and embrace their wildest desires and blissful pleasures. You won't find medical advice here, just our personal experiences following the journey of sexual evolution and education in sizzling fun topics that were definitely not taught to us in school, but have wickedly blossomed into reality. We discuss adventures in ethical non-monogamy, kinks and fetishes, exotic places to visit, sexy events, workshops, and tips. Allow us to seduce you into embarking on new adventures where each day you ask yourself, what's your pleasure? So, hang on everybody. Tonight we are going to be doing science. So, for that, we have here in the studio Annalisa Murphy. Tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. My name's Annalisa Murphy, and I am a grad student at Bradley University. I am studying clinical mental health counseling, and I live in Utah. My experiences have been based in Utah, and I plan on practicing in Utah, even though Bradley University is in Illinois. I did my undergrad work at University of Utah with my professor, Dr. Joel, who co-authored a study with me that we're going to be talking about tonight at the University of Utah, and they funded the study. Right. And for those who don't know, a while ago, almost close to a year now, Annalisa came to Blitzbringers and asked to be helped out in getting willing participants for a study to do science with all the swingy people. So tell us about how that went. Yes, so exactly. It actually was in 2017, so it's been even longer than that. Oh but it, um, I know, I looked that up and I thought, wow. So yeah, what we were doing was we were looking for individuals who were thinking about opening up a primary relationship. So these individuals had some kind of primary relationship um, and they had not opened up before. And uh, they were thinking about opening up but they hadn't. And so we advertised with you to get individuals that had been listening to the podcast, maybe thinking about opening up their relationship to see if they wanted to take our survey. And we got a decent amount of people. And I don't know if they all came from you, obviously. Uh, we got 155 people who had not opened up their relationships before to take our survey. And then after they took our survey, they opened up their relationships. And after they opened up their relationships, we sent them a survey about two months later, asking them if they had opened and whether they had opened or not, we had them take the same survey. And the survey asked them questions about their life satisfaction. So these were basic surveys that are universal, good validation, reliability on life satisfaction, relationship quality and sexual satisfaction. And what were you trying to get at? What was the idea behind it? The reason that we came up with this study was that all of the studies that had been conducted on consensual non-monogamous relationships, as far as we were aware, had been conducted on individuals who were already living a non-monogamous lifestyle. So nobody had captured the information from people who had not opened up and then opened up. And we wanted to see if the quality of their life, their relationships, and their sexual satisfaction did increase or decrease or stayed the same 
between that time. And the reasoning that we were really interested in it was that we had had experiences talking with different individuals, both in the monogamous world and the non-monogamous world, that told us unless people had a good relationship when they opened up, it would fail. And we wanted to see if that was true. And that's something that I would have predicted as well. Well Well-known rule of thumb is swinging will magnify your relationship. If you have a good relationship, then it will be better. If you have a shitty relationship, it will go to hell. Right. That's the conventional kind of knowledge that everybody talks about. But there was no scientific process to show if that was true or not. And to be clear, we didn't just have people that were swingers. We also had people that were practicing polyamory Mm -hmm. or people that were open marriage. So, And they were all just kind of a big grab bag. Although you can look at the data and see what they identified with. Are they self-identifying? Yeah, they're self-identifying. And they, we only got data from one partner. So we didn't get the other partner and we didn't get any of their subsequent partners data, but we did get the data from one person. So, and that's kind of a limitation, but it still kind of gives us a picture of what was going on. So we had our hypothesis as well. And honestly, What we thought was going to happen didn't really happen, but we found some interesting things that did happen. Okay, what did you think was going to happen? So we had this idea that people who opened up that had really good relationships and also identified as being non-monogamous, for example, they would say, my identity is non-monogamy, or I want to have an adventure and it's a positive thing for myself and my partner, that those were kind of internal motivations and that those people would be the ones that would be successful at opening up. And then we thought people that opened up that had sexual dissatisfaction with their partners and thought if they opened up that, you know, maybe that would help their relationship, that those people would have horrible experiences. Those were our hypothesis. What we found was this. Individuals that opened up that had good relationship quality still had good relationship quality after opening up. People that opened up that had good life satisfaction still had good life satisfaction. So it didn't get much better after opening up, but it didn't go down. It just stayed the same, basically. What we found that was interesting was that people who had sexual dissatisfaction before opening up had an increase in their sexual satisfaction with their primary partner after opening up. So that was interesting. Even more interesting to me was the people who did not open up because we got surveys from the people that opened up and the ones that didn't open up, but were planning on opening up. They had had the conversation, we're going to open up, but then for whatever reason, they did not. Their life satisfaction and relationship quality stayed about the same, but their sexual satisfaction went down in those people that did not open up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does that mean? (laughs) I got my own theories behind that already. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because when you're doing a study, you get the data and then you have to go, what what does this mean? And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, this area has been so understudied, so much more work needs to be done in this area to figure out why these things happen. But this is a nice jumping off point that we can take and run with other studies. Okay, well, let's let's do a different study and see if we can figure out why the sexual satisfaction went down in people, you know, that didn't open up or or whatnot. And in the study, we actually do 
put forward some theories, uh, what we think may be happening, but those theories have not been studied. Let me throw a guess in here. Yeah, go ahead. In assuming these are couples, if in a yes. couple there's at least one partner expressing the idea of opening up, and it takes a lot of courage and a lot of work to even bring that up. Mm -hmm. If that afterwards doesn't materialize, I think that may be a little bit resentful. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That would be one theory. And as for the other, the increased sexual satisfaction with the primary partner, that's also a, a common thing. We usually describe it as reclamation sex is hot, right? It's right. In many cases, it triggers these primal urges to like reconnect with their partner after they've, they've played with. And that can totally make your make you look at your partner in, with, with different eyes instead of like, oh, we've been doing this for 30 years. Right. And this study was only two months after initially opening up. So that's not a super long amount of time to see what the long-term effects would be for people. But it is showing that there is some kind of positive um, experience for, for people that were having sexual dissatisfaction. If the people were already sexually satisfied and they opened up, it did increase slightly, but it did not increase as much as it did for the people that were dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. What I think is important to remember that I find most interesting about this study is that it did not decrease life satisfaction and relationship quality mm -hmm. for individuals. Because a lot of the conventions that people who don't believe that this type of lifestyle is going to produce any positive results will say, well, it will decrease those things. And now we have evidence between the time of monogamy and non-monogamy that that did not happen. Now, that doesn't mean it won't happen for people because you have to remember these individuals were already talking about it. They were open to the idea mm -hmm. of opening up. If we were to, let's say, survey people that were not interested in opening up and one of them was perhaps maybe forced to open up, they may not have that same type of effect. But these individuals were open to it and therefore they were able to see kind of what happens. Okay. And you have that published? Well, it's actually in press right now. And you're my first interview. Uh, I reached out to you because you were so gracious at letting us advertise uh, through your podcast. It will be published in the Personality and Social Psychology Journal sometime this year. Right now it's in press and it can be found online at the OSF preprints website. All right. And that's the Open Science Forum website. So if anyone wants to read it, they can go there and find it currently. We will add a link in the show notes. Perfect. That makes life easy. So, oh, yes. <laughs> so how did you get into this? What's your background? In, do you consider yourself non-monogamous? What's your background? I am non-monogamous. Yes, I am non-monogamous. So in Utah. I, in Utah. I'm, I'm sorry. Not, yes, I'm, it's okay. Actually, the... The scene here in Utah is getting a lot better than it used to be. So we have a, a pretty active polyamory group. I know we have a pretty active swingers group as well here in Utah. So so it's getting there. <laughs> but we're, you know, we're, we're a little behind in every area. Wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> Hi, this is Emily from Cassidy. And you can find me and hundreds of other sexually social swingers at Cassidy.blissbringers.com. And that's spelled K-A-S-I-D-I-E. 
So with me personally, I just celebrated my 20th wedding anniversary with my husband last March. So this March will be our 21st. And we've been in an open marriage for, I think, five or six years now. For me, I was a member of the LDS faith here in Utah, and I left the church about five or six years ago. Well, actually, it was probably about seven years ago. And the year after leaving and before we opened up, we looked at our marriage and we were kind of questioning everything because we got married under a religion because the religion told us to get married and because of the ways that we had been raised we kind of decided, hey, do we actually want to be in a marriage? Do we love each other? Do we want to continue this relationship? Is it the old hook and, and sinker of if you want to get laid, you got to get married? Yes, absolutely. And certainly no sex before marriage? Oh, no, none. And we have two children, but my husband and myself had been having issues the entire marriage because we just weren't compatible sexually. And I was a lot more sexual than he ever was. So... After leaving the church, we kind of were looking around, not just religiously, but just kind of in everything, questioning everything. I had another friend who is in an open marriage, and he reached out to me and said, hey, and I've known him for years since junior high. He reached out to me and said, hey, I know you guys are trying to figure stuff out. I know you. I think you're a very outgoing person. I am thinking you might be polyamorous. I said, what is polyamory? I had no idea what that was. He said, let me send you some books. So he sent me, he, he lives out of state. He opening sent me up. a book, uh, opening up more than two. Yep. And another one. And I can't remember what it was now. <laughs> Ethical um, slut. It wasn't actually, what? but I know, I know. <laughs> I read that one later. Okay. Um, I think it was just opening up in more than two. He sent them to me and I read them. At, well, I went to my husband and said, Hey, have you heard about this thing? And he said, no. I said, I don't know about it either. We'll, Let's find out. So I read one and he agreed to read the other one and he read it. And then we switched books and I read one and he read one. So a couple of months later, we decided to talk. And before I could even open my mouth, he said, so just so we're clear, I completely know you are non-monogamous. I'm monogamous. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> What are we going to do about it? To be fair to him, he's not completely monogamous in the fact that he's fine with me being open. So I don't know what that's called, but... I started dating people here. At first, it was hard for him. And at first, it was hard for him also because I kept pressuring him to date people. <laughs> and he had no interest in that. It's also way harder for men, right? That's, I know. It's, yes. It usually <laughs> starts with the guy has the idea. And yeah. like, oh, let's start opening up. And then the wife gets laid like crazy. And he doesn't. Right. And I'm like, is this yeah. really a good idea? And then the wife right. goes, yeah, let's do it. Let's keep it. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that story a lot. That's not our story, though. As soon as I like put myself out there, people were beating down the doors. He was worried for my safety, which is, you know, a very valid concern. But but we never had the the thing where he had any kind of he he's met maybe two of the people I've dated. I actually have been in a steady relationship with one other person for the past two years. I haven't been dating. So but the, for those first three years, I dated a lot. And then he thought maybe he would eventually. He never has. He has done this, though, which I find really interesting. I've had some women reach out to me and say, hey, I'm interested in this, but my husband's not on board. And and my husband has said, well, I'll talk to the husbands. So my husband has actually gone out to coffee with a couple of different guys 
trying to let them know that it's going to be fine. Oh, <laughs> so, playing the ambassador. Yes, but I was in school at the time because I went back to school after leaving the church because also I realized that I was just a housewife and I wanted to do more with my life. And so I thought I'm going to go to school and get my my uh, degree and be able to be a counselor and help people in this state that are living non-normative relationships, also LGBT and faith crisis. So just to be someone that can help with a lot of those problems that I see all the time living here and what I went through. Um, and I met a professor up there, Dr. Joel. She's the one that helped me with this study and she studies relationships. So she has a lot of other studies on relationships, but she'd never done one on non-monogamy. And I came to her and said, I would like to do a study on this. I want to see, because I was telling people, hey, we're in an open relationship and friends and family, you're going to destroy your marriage. You're going to destroy your marriage. And I said, but maybe, but where's the evidence? And they said, well, it's just common knowledge. So I said, well, let's do it the right way. Let's do a study. So I went to her and said, I want to do this study. And she said, I am so on board with that. So that's why we did it. So it, it definitely came from a personal thing. And then, and then when we found out what we found out, it was exciting. It's exciting for the mere fact that no one has ever studied any group of uh, non-monogamous individuals before they opened up and after they opened up. If they had opened up at all and then had reclosed, they were excluded from the study. And it was interesting because we did have quite a few people reach out to us that had that situation and said, well, I haven't done it for a while. And I said, well, you still, you don't qualify. But we did get 155 people that opened and 70 people that did not open, but fit the category. Uh, more women took the survey than men. More heterosexual people took the survey than non-heterosexual, which is interesting. And then we had 10 non-binary people take the survey. It was open up to the entire world. So we had people from all over the globe participate in the survey as well. Interesting. And, and what's next? What's next? So I personally... I'm going to let this study be there for other people to do work off of it. The next study for me that I want to do is more locally based. I actually am interested in doing a, a qualitative study on the experiences people have in leaving the LDS church. However, if the opportunity arises for me to do another study along non-monogamy or to collaborate with someone else, I am totally on board. I think it's fascinating. And I'm excited that now there's a study out there that people can point to and say, look, Mm -hmm. It might not work for you, but the science says that it's not going to necessarily destroy your relationship. So it kind of gives validity to the experiences that people are experiencing, because as your audience knows, many people live a non-monogamous lifestyle quite successfully. And so now we have science that says, yes, they do. I don't know if you read Sex at Dawn, the book. Yeah. That sort yes. of broke down the myth of it's unnatural. And I think right. what you're doing is breaking down the myth of it can't never work. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's not magic, right? People still right. get divorces, whether they're swinging or not, right? I, 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 right. People getting, swinger friends getting divorced. And they're yes. like, oh, people point to that. But like, yeah, how many closed relations get a divorce? Well, on? the divorce rate is 40 to 60% in the United States. Mm -hmm. So something's not working. Yeah. So, you know, you can't point at non-monogamy and say, oh, that's the reason why. I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly what I was hoping that, that people would, would gain from this study is that they cannot say, oh, because you're living a non-monogamous lifestyle, that's the reason you're having, you're having problems. It's like, no, no, that's not, that's not it. But I also think that it can kind of give 
hope to people that are thinking of opening up and may be afraid Mm -hmm. to open up because of the stigma. They, you know, I've had people say, well, I can't, I can't, I can't open up because right now my, my spouse says, yeah, everything will be fine. And then later they might not. And so I'm not even going to try. And now I can say to them, they might say that later on, but it, it won't be because the nature of what you're doing is going to cause that problem. Yeah, there's some practical tips and tools that you have to apply to manage it, but that's a little bit with everything. It's not right. bad per se. Right, exactly. You need, exactly. You, you need a course on uh, Google Calendar and managing time yes. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like time management. I said, that's what I say. Time management is your biggest, I'd say time management and finances. I think those two are probably the most difficult for people to manage. (laughs) At least that's been my personal experience. More time management than finance. Yeah. Well, and I think that has to do with the fact that my relationship is with somebody who doesn't live in my state. (laughs) So that's kind of the issue on that one. Something else I really like that the study did is that it showed that if you are a person that is practicing any type of non-monogamy, it doesn't care. It doesn't matter what the specifics are. It doesn't matter if you're a swinger. It doesn't matter if you're open. It doesn't matter if you're polyamorous. And honestly, it doesn't matter if you're monogamous. Relationships are not going to succeed or not going to succeed based on what the details are. They're going to succeed or not succeed, succeed based on the people who are in them. Mm-hmm. And what they do and give into the the situation. That's that's what's going to make a relationship work, not the details, you know, of of what's happening. And so it's pretty exciting to be able to then point at that and say, look, look at that. There are quite a few studies out there that have been done on on uh, individuals who live a non monogamous lifestyle, and you can see that they're working. But then at that point, you're thinking, well, yeah, all of the all of the people who opened up and it didn't work for they they decided not to do it anymore. And so that is true. And you can say, yeah, but here's what happened to the people that did open up and you can see it in real time. You can see it over the two month period and compare their answers. Now, I was just thinking, I cannot not ask about <laughs> about LDS and yeah. the, the polygamy <laughs> stuff. Oh, yes. <laughs> So is that, is that still going on? And is there like a historical background behind that? Has that ever been That's, studied? Well, polygamy has been studied. Polygamy and the LDS history. It's a loaded question. I'm going to do my best job to answer that um, in a way that makes sense. So what polygamy is for the LDS faith is currently people who practice LDS, the LDS faith, do not approve of, po- of polygamy. Officially. Officially. Interestingly, you say that. Because the way that some of the doctrine is in the church, if a man gets married and then the wife passes away, he can get remarried to another woman and both women will be sealed to him in heaven. So, however, if a woman's husband dies, she can't get remarried unless she divorces her husband. After he's dead. Yeah, after he's dead. Okay. Yeah, I know. A man can have multiple wives in the LDS faith, technically, not on the earth, but in heaven. There are polygamous sects. They are offshoots of the LDS faith. They are not the main LDS faith that's the big Salt Lake, Salt Lake headquarters downtown. It's interesting, though, because people who are practicing non-monogamy in the state, obviously, marriage, a polygamous marriage is illegal. In Utah, people who practice open relationships actually try to shy away from the whole polygamy thing because it's got such a negative connotation with the way that the LDS church practiced it back when they practiced. It was not a 
consensual, above-board way of practicing non-monogamy. The reason why I bring that up, people sometimes say like, yeah, swinging or uh, polyamory, that's just like polygamist and you're against that. So why are you not, why are you being uh, (laughs) hypocritical? And I'm like, personally, I don't care how many people live together and what do they call them and whether it's legal or via a religion or whether it's three guys and two girls or one girl and and five guys or whatever, as long as everybody in there consenting. That's exactly what I was going to say. The consensual part was not present in the LDS, LDS church's practice of polygamy. And there are quite a few historical documents and there's a whole... There's actually a podcast done by a, a wonderful woman named Lindsay Hanson Park, and it's all about polygamy. She goes over all the lives of like Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and talks about the whole thing and how it was a horrible experience for the women that were involved in it. They had really nothing, they had no say over what they were doing. So you can't compare the way that people are practicing open relationships in Utah now with consensuality with with the way that the LDS church used to practice polygamy. And I'm and I'm just whether to remember it. A, a, a big Sis, love? Sister wives. Oh, sister wives. Yeah, sister wives. I was going to say big love or sister wives. Big love was sort of like fictional where sister yeah. wives is supposed to be quote unquote reality TV. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. From my point of view, it cringed me so much because Yes. They were trying to make cringe about the sexual part. Yeah. But what cringed me is how he was basically being an asshole to his wife. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, like, like property. And some, some guy actually asked the guy like, Hey, so would you be okay if your, one of your wives had, had another guy? Oh no, that's disgusting. I'm like, wait a second, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that show was built on the premise of what a lot of people think about Utah. They wanted to capitalize on the history and the historical significance of this area. And so I think that they kind of took something that had a basis in reality and made a reality TV show out of it. And that's why it had to take place in Utah, because of the LDS Church's history of polygamy. They did 14 seasons. I know. Are you... I think people and they are canceled fascinated. Firefly after one. I'm sorry. I know. No, the, I'm with you there. That, this is bullshit. I no. I what? What is the name of that character on Firefly? That lady that like her job was to like help these young men like have a good sexual experience. I loved her. I can. Um, she was a concubine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the first time I saw a non-monogamous type of situation relationship on TV portrayed in a positive light. Morena Silva de Vazeta. Wow. Okay. Wow. Just Morena. Let's just go with that. Also played in Homeland and Deadpool. Uh, yes. 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 Anyhow. Yes. Deadpool's so, girlfriend. Yeah. So, so yeah. So they're, they're... Yeah. Being in Utah and, and, and having that polygamous background is interesting because it's so connected. Whenever I talk about polyamory, people inevitably bring up polygamy. If I was in Wisconsin, you wouldn't have brought up polygamy. Sure. Other thing that cracked me up. Other flashback. I was at a swinger party and they had an older couple there and I just was talking with them and they were like, yeah, we're from Utah and, and we're Mormons. And the secret technique that they figured out is they looked for funerals of anybody remotely connected to the family and then like even out of state when somebody uh-huh. when somebody Mormon died they went to the funeral because apparently somebody looked that up stuff like that so they were <laughs> for example going to 
a funeral in California, but they timed it so that they could go to swinger parties. Huh. To keep them to keep them secret from yes. people? From oh their my. church. They were still in the church, so they used okay. that as camouflage for them taking trips all over the place. And so like, oh yeah, oh, and so-and-so, okay. my third cousin or whatever, elder so-and-so died in Wisconsin or in California. And then we have to go, we always, we do have to go to- <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. Whether I don't know what to think about that either. Well, it's funny because, so when I was a member of the church, I was a very good member of the church. And it was interesting when I left, I was never a Jack Mormon. I was never like half in, half out. I was like 100% in. And then I was 100% out. And so after being out, it's been interesting, like people coming out of the woodwork talking about how they're still active, but yet they have an open relationship or they're still active, but yet they wanted to talk to me about like sexual stuff. And I always thought, okay, but you know, religion's funny. People get, I mean, there's so many reasons why people are in a religion. And it was just always interesting to me. Non-monogamy, you think that the LDS church would be like, yeah, we've done that in the past. Let's do it again. They are not under that assumption. The main church is not okay with that. I agree with you on that. It can be rough being non-monogamous, but swingers and poly people have the advantages that they can be invisible. Oh, absolutely. Right? Whereas yep. if you're gay, yep. that's way harder. How do you look at homosexuality now and then thinking back? I think that because I was 100% in, I was 100% in on the beliefs. And so even like thinking about being non-monogamous wouldn't be something that would have crossed my mind because I was so committed to the faith versus someone that maybe was in the church, but not 100% in, but they still needed to have appearances of being a good member. And so they were the ones that were, it was easier for them to live that lifestyle appearing like a good member versus what I was doing, which was really actually trying to be a good member. So your question about homosexuality is interesting for me personally, because my father actually was gay and was a member of the church. This is going to be a, a bit of a detour, but he was told by his bishop, who's a leader of the of the church, that if he got married to a woman, those feelings would go away. So, hmm. and this was, I know, and this was in the 70s. So... He got married to a woman, had four children. I'm the oldest. He actually, in the 80s, unfortunately, contracted AIDS. He passed away from AIDS 17, 18 years ago now. But when he was living with AIDS, my mom actually was taking care of him. He got excommunicated by the church because he was homosexual. But because his family and his culture was so tied to the church, he got rebaptized. And all of us, even myself, who was still a believing member, and my mother was still a believing member, is still a believing member. She and I and my siblings all said to him, and we were believing, don't get rebaptized. This church is not a friendly place for you. Wait, so, you know? so, as an outsider, what yep. is rebaptized? They just reset everything and you're good to go again? <laughs> Yeah, kind of. So when you get baptized into the LDS faith, you join, you get special blessings from God. You're a member of the church, but you also get these special blessings that you only can have as a baptized member. If you commit a sin that's an excommunicable sin, being gay and acting on it is one of them. Being gay and not acting on it, not excommunicatable. But if you act on it, then you get excommunicated. If you then go and repent and say, I'm never going to do it again, and go through a repentance process, they will let you become rebaptized, and then all those blessings will be restored. Wow. Yeah. 
So he did that, but after he passed away, we found that he still was in relationships, in homosexual relationships. Who could have guessed that one? I know, shocking, right? Then when I kind of, I guess, came out as polyamorous, my children, who are now 15 and 16, at the time were 12, 13, hadn't really gone through puberty yet. Both of my children, my oldest child is a lesbian and my other child is bisexual. And I am so happy that we left the church before they went through puberty and discovered what their sexuality was because I know that that would have been devastating Devastating. to them and devastating to me. And another thing that I'm really happy about in coming out of the closet, so to say, about being in an open relationship and being polyamorous is that it gave my children courage to be able to be who they were knowing that their mother was also non-normative in her relationship and her sexuality. I do think that there are members of the LDS church who are really trying to live both a faithful life in the church and be accepting of homosexuality. For me personally, I don't understand how that works for them because the church is so against homosexuality. But I appreciate that they are in the church and that they can be a place for especially youth who are queer to be able to talk to them at church. And hopefully that will help them feel more accepted until they hopefully leave the church. That's just my, I think everyone should leave the church, but I'm not biased or anything. (laughs) What? And miss out on the cool magic underwear. and I know. That, yeah, all the cool, but it's so magical. It will save you from fires. <laughs> Someone out there has, has a magic underwear fetish. Oh, no, there's porn dedicated to, to, oh, to right. LDS. I, I talked to somebody who did like porn that was focused on LDS. Yes. yes, yeah, I've seen some of it and I'm like, I what? What is going on? <laughs> But hey, we don't kink shame, but sometimes... No, we, I don't. I just know that for me, taking the garments off was way better for my sex life than leaving them on. <laughs> Personally. It's such a controlling religion, I can understand why there would be kink associated with it, to tell you the truth. Anything else you want our listeners to take away? I guess just keep fighting the good fight. <laughs> and where can they find you online? Probably Twitter is the best place to find me. My handle is just Annalisa underscore Murphy. At, I guess the link of the OSF preprint will will get you to the study. But yeah, Twitter. There you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. And that's it for this episode. Let us know what other subjects you want to hear about. Twitter and email and all that good stuff is available on blissbringers.com. And if you like this episode, rate us five stars on iTunes. If you hated this episode, rate us five stars on iTunes and tell us in the comments what my problem is. Until next time, stay dirty. All names mentioned in this show are either fictional, taken from public record, or held by people who have given their explicit consent to be mentioned. 